0: Welcome back to Coffee with Kojo, a podcast produced by the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University. My name is Rocky Daly, and I'm an associate professor in the school. Our latest episode features Heather Solberg, who joined Kojo as an instructor of advertising in the fall of 2018. She was most recently the director of digital media for an advertising agency in Sioux Falls. Her professional experience includes media buying, media planning, advertising sales, copywriting media analytics, data analysis, and marketing research. Kojo advertising major Jonathan Gouger spoke with Heather about her life and work.
1: I did some reading, and you kind of had like a a nomadic life, almost. You went to Shanghai, San Francisco, you know, you just went to a ton of different places. Um, How do you transition towards different places and different cultures and different people?
2: It definitely has a learning curve. I grew up in Sioux Falls and decided I want a little change of pace. I went to school in South Florida and it was definitely a wake up call. Um, I was, you know, like the college experience that I was used to was what was here locally. So that kind of felt different, felt like making local friends. That's the quickest way to kind of go and adapt. Going then, I came back to South Dakota and then I went to San Francisco. Luckily, I knew a few of my coworkers beforehand, so that definitely helped with the transition out there. Uh, biggest change was probably going to Shanghai. That was about as opposite as experiences what I was used to. So that was back in 2011 when we moved there and definitely an eye opener.
1: So, do you know any Mandarin that? Since you're from- I,
2: very, very basic. I say I could carry on a conversation with about a two-year-old.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's such a hard language just to learn. It has no Latin roots. Mm-hmm. I, I want to do lingo. <laughs> you know, the premium uh, version of trying to learn a language, um, and it's just you have to know the different symbols and different kind of like drawings of the shapes. It's a lot of memorization, and the fact that you can hold a conversation with two-year-old is pretty impressive.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, we'll take the small wins. That's, I mean, we knew it was important. We had to use taxis, we, you know, to go to the market to negotiate. So that was kind of my first job was to learn how to navigate just the day-to-day life. And so figuring out, I did take some language lessons when we moved there just to at least get a little bit of a grasp. The tones are definitely a big challenge. Uh, you can have the same word with four different tones, which is four different words. So when I, when we first moved there, I would tell the taxi driver to stop, but the way I was using the tone, I was telling, he thought I was saying, listen, well, I was, well, I thought I was saying stop. So definitely led to some interesting kind of trying to get the taxi to stop where I wanted, but we learned our way through it.
1: You know, I can imagine people who have difficulty hearing, that would be a nightmare of a language <laughs> yeah, like yes. you can't hear like a, the voice re- reflections of it too like it's very hard to hear, it, hear that but um do you ever find yourself overwhelmed when you're over there or because i that matches different cultures that like you're far away from home
2: yes and with shanghai i mean it's 23 million or so people that live there so, so it, it was definitely there were a lot more people <laughs> than we were used to being around um, it did feel like, especially when you'd go to market or go into like a busier part of the city, it just was kind of like all of your senses were on alert just because it was noisy. There were um, just lots of different people, like personal space is a very different feeling over there. You know here like we keep keep some space between us there it was perfectly fine to sit on the subway and have someone just like come sit right next to you shoulder to shoulder like leaning against you so definitely you kind of like we would say like okay now we are going out like kind of have to like prepare yourself and then we'd come back to our place it'd be kind of like okay now like just kind of you know, have some time <laughs> to rezone so yeah it would mean amazing experience but definitely very very different
1: that's so bizarre so like was it just like you're packed in like a like a bunch of sardines you like at a subway station
2: yes there were times that if you went at rush hour that it was it was packed in there it was standing room only shoulder shoulder and it was as the door opened you know, you'd have kind of a push of people to get off, a push of people to get on, but I was, luckily I was able to go out and about kind of in non-peak time. So I was able to avoid some of that at times.
1: What is it like during peak times?
2: Very busy. <laughs> there were times we had, my mom came to visit one of the years and I'd like give her a lesson. She wanted to be polite. She wanted to like step off the subway so that more people, so that everyone could get off of that stop. And I said, don't you dare step outside the subway. You'll never get back on. (laughs) So it's just like, you just have to uh, just navigate things. And we, it, it, you couldn't always be like what we would feel as like making space for people. it was just different, different than what we're used to.
1: So have you ever been to to, uh, New York then? Yep. So what's the difference between like the business between Shanghai and New York? Oh,
2: with New York, it felt, felt a little more kind of formal and like almost cold feeling. I don't know, Mm -hmm. just like a little bit more standoffish where I always felt that even when you're in close quarters in a subway, like it, it didn't ever have that kind of like barrier there in shanghai it was just like yeah i'm standing really close to you and that's okay like it just it wasn't i don't know it was a little bit more relaxed in that way
1: really i would imagine it'd be more stressful because i think there's more people in shanghai than new york city
2: yes yes the population's okay. larger
1: yep you know uh, especially like you are in a different place mm-hmm. with a different like you don't really know the language that well uh i imagine that'd be more stressful than new york But uh, for anyone who has gone to New York, um, everyone there is more blunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Uh, and and
2: part of it is that I couldn't always understand Mandarin, so I didn't, you know, I didn't always know exactly what they're saying to me, but it just, yeah, it was like that was just the way of life was to go out and kind of be surrounded by people.
1: So did people know English from there, or was it just purely Mandarin?
2: They're, they, they, a lot of, uh, in school, they're studying English. So we would find that if we would go out, that there would be, you know, someone would say hello to us. That was the most common. Um, but we would have conversations. There'd be people that would want to, um, have conversations with us. So even when we traveled outside of Shanghai, we would find that people would, would try to talk to us in English, uh, just different, depending on where we were different levels of. I would say going out took a lot more planning. Mm -hmm. We needed to know addresses of where we were going. We needed to know how to get there. It was like, you had to kind of, I had a little, almost a sheet of like, well, notes in my phone, but here's what I need to know to like, get me to my place and get me help. (laughs) I mean, that was at the beginning, obviously it got more comfortable after that, but just definitely doing some pre-planning was important.
1: So was there ever kind of like a culture shock you you, you experienced being in, in China?
2: It was, that's my husband and I talk about that. We didn't like typically you hear of the honeymoon phase where you go someplace completely different. Everything is fantastic. It's just you are like elated at everything. And then you start to feel like some of the stresses that come with being in a new culture. We never really felt like that really high peak. And then the valley felt a little bit more even. Um, I would say, biggest culture shock was just like, again, language barriers. Um, Shopping was interesting. You know, I'm used to cooking the way we do here, buying groceries, different grocery, like you can't find the products that you get here. And yeah, there are some things imported. We improvise, but definitely had to do a lot more kind of figuring out to work with which that was the fun part I mean I took several cooking classes um from a cooking school I found when we first moved there and just like figured out how you go navigate the market what you look for and how to make you know different recipes so it was fun I wouldn't say we necessarily had a culture shock just definitely some differences.
1: So I know you had different types of jobs there as well you worked you worked on a magazine for a little bit you were like you worked online um describe like the different jobs you had just from San Francisco to Shanghai?
2: Sure. So when I worked in San Francisco, I was director of marketing for a software company that we sold enrollment software for colleges to use as they were recruiting students. And then while we were in Shanghai, well, then then I came back to South Dakota from San Francisco, worked at an ad agency called AdWorks and worked there for two years had just gotten engaged and my now husband at the time, he had just gotten asked like, you know, would you consider we have an opening? Would you consider applying to work in Shanghai? So um, we kind of talked about it said, yeah, that'd be great, let's do it. Well, I went to my boss at AdWorks and said, I'm moving halfway around the world but can I still work for you (laughs) because at that time all of the most of what I was doing was online so as long as I had internet access that was the important thing so he thought about he's like yeah let's try that so I was very fortunate that I was able to kind of take my job with me so while they were you know, working here, I was sleeping. And then when they would be off for the night, I would be working. So that worked out well. I did that when we, I kind of had different levels of hours. I worked with them over the whole time we were there. I also worked at a magazine for an expat group that um, was in Shanghai, so sold advertising for them. Then I also worked at an international school. I worked one year as a director of admission and recruitment And then I worked for a food tour company as operations manager, just trying to get different experiences, just trying to um, branch out and just try new things. I mean, wanted to kind of take advantage of living abroad and having different opportunities.
1: I mean, like back in like 2011, that that would have been absurd to think like, oh, you're you're going online? Like you're you're not going in office? We'd be crazy. Like, and now it's just so commonplace and you kind of were at the forefront of that. Uh, I guess like, what job would you find like, was like the most fulfilling for you during that time?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, working for AdWorks from remote just because that was such a, was such a cool risk that they took that the, mm-hmm. they were willing to say, sure, let's see if we can make this work. Um, also that's just very much in the vein of the industry side. I want to be in, um, also working at the food tour company. I mean, it was such a fun environment that was a work from home. It was, um, i had had a six month old at the time that I applied. It was two people from the U S that had studied abroad in China, moved back there, started this food tour company. They were hiring for operations manager. I apply and I said, by the way, is it okay if I bring my six-month-old to the interviews? Like a very laid-back environment. Like they were very professional, worked very hard, but definitely like at that point, very accommodating of, again, I work from home um, that I would coordinate with tour guys, coordinate with group tours, do some kind of recruitment advertising type stuff. So I would say that just more from, Kind of also getting to know a little bit more of the local food scene because you're know, going out and doing the tours and trying different restaurants and kind of coordinating some of the marketing materials we would hand out
1: man like that's just like again that's, that's absurd this thing about that so you must be pretty used to just being all oh, online, you know like oh it's a piece of cake we guys complain about you know, yes that, <laughs> i gotta say though um, what made you transition towards being more part of the industry to being teaching like about advertising?
2: So I always thought in the back of my mind, it would be fun to teach someday. That was always just kind of something I hadn't really like made any steps towards doing that. I was still enjoying my time in industry. Um, But I actually was a guest speaker in one of Professor Lucchese's classes. And then there was a possible opening for an adjunct instructor for global multicultural advertising. So I was asked if I was interested in adjuncting again, I went back, I was still at AdWorks at that time. Like, so there's a class I want to teach. Can I be flexible? Well, after living and working in Shanghai, Jim Mathis, who's the founder of AdWorks, he's like, I don't care what hours you work, when you work them. Sure. Like we'll be totally flexible. So, I was again working remote here in Brookings for the agency at, is out of Sioux Falls, and so went adjunct for a semester, and then there was a full time instructor opening, and thought, kind of, you know, I enjoyed the one class and felt like yeah, maybe this is something I should pursue, something I should try. So, I would say just kind of the the doors opened, mm-hmm. and I, it was yeah that I made that transition about three years ago. And still had some co- local connection to adwork. still worked on projects once in a while. I just can't quite step out of industry fully.
1: Yeah, because you mentioned you did some, you're doing some freelance work, right?
2: hmm
1: Currently, um, you won an award back in like the last summer, like $500 for, um, can you explain what, what that was?
2: Yep. So through SDSU extension and the city of Volga worked together on offering a small business basics course that was in the, let's see, kind of spring of 2020. And my husband, he had this idea for something he wanted to make. It's an ice fishing vehicle that he wanted to make. And I thought, well, this is a small business basic. I mean, I have a background in business. I have an MBA. I'm like, You know, I understand the mechanics of business, but like this course would just be a good way for me to go refresh myself on some of the necessities and also to dedicate the time to it. So Mm -hmm. went through a six-week course, went once a week to Volga to um, join other local businesses, wrote a business plan for my husband's um, side business and submitted it and ended up, uh, we won first place with our business plan. So... Mm -hmm.
1: So I guess, like, you try to keep yourself, like, sharp with, like, other freelance work. Uh, like, how do you even have the, the time to do that since you're a full-time professor and you also have a family?
2: Definitely get creative with the hours <laughs> that, you know, with, like, with teaching comes first, that you have your set times, you you know, that's, that's all built into the schedule. But getting creative, I get up extremely early in the morning, so that gives me a couple hours that I can work on doing some freelance work. Um, I led a Google Analytics workshop in conjunction with the Chamber of Commerce of Brookings last year. So just kind of working on different projects that just, it invigorates me. So I don't know, I just kind of find pockets of time that I can fill and weekends and evenings. I don't know, just kind of juggling it all. And I think some of that comes from working abroad, kind of working different schedules that just kind of, I don't know, all the pieces fit.
1: So, how do you avoid burnout? Because you're always, it kind of seems like you're always going 100 miles all the time. you kind of, at some point, you kind of just have to feel like you have to hit a brick wall or something like that.
2: Well, every once in a while, i have to binge something on Netflix or have a little <laughs> downtime. Um, no, I mean, for, for downtime, um, I like to make things like very hands on making projects. So we'll do projects with my daughters and kind of have, they always want to do art projects or they always want to do something or I'll create things. And I don't know, that's kind of like my, my quote unquote downtime, just to recharge myself a little bit.
1: So what, what uh, shows have you recently binged on Netflix?
2: I don't know. We're catching up with some old ones right now. We're still in the, the gold rush, catching up on episodes there from discovery channel where we would watch that in china we would buy a whole season and binge it so um we're still kind of playing we're a couple seasons behinds but that's one also watched drive to survive the f1 series on netflix recently and i don't know i that's that's kind of the the current ones we're watching
1: are you a formula one fan
2: no i'm a car fan (laughs)
1: okay i was like I I just recently kind of got into this weird, uh, just rabbit hole of Formula, Formula One. I never realized how many people enjoy it. Like, um, it, it's just a very cool version of NASCAR.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, and I I didn't know much about it, but I listened to Armchair Expert podcast with Dak Shepard, Monica Padman. They had interviewed Daniel Ricardo. He's an F one driver, and that was kind of like wow that sounds interesting so that's what that's what brought the formula or drive to survive to my attention and it was fascinating it's the strategy the competition the intensity it mm-hmm. just like I was stressed watching it but it was so I don't know it was just really interesting to get into
1: it's also certainly dangerous too yes <laughs> like do you realize how fragile those cars are like, there's a, not
2: much to them yes like they're, they're
1: can just blow yes. out their tires
2: Yes, and all I can think is I wouldn't drive one of those, but I respect those that are willing to get into it.
1: I, I feel like something is wrong with their brain. Like you have to not care about your, your well-being. To drive I mean,
2: thank, those cars. Yeah, thankfully they have a lot of safety measures, but it's definitely it's it's next level mindset that wow, it's it's impressive.
1: Because like um, you, you heard of Dale, Dale Earth right? Mm-hmm. I watched this little documentary about it like it's like kind of like YouTube it's kind of like a like 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 kind of like the amateur style of like the editing stuff but like he like one of the greatest NASCAR drivers of all time died and like there's also been other it's, it's like instances of like cars killing other fans cars like I mean it's gotten safer safer but mm-hmm. You know they, they they have to know. I, I feel like there has to be something at the back of their mind. Like this might be my my last race, going into it. But yeah, but have you ever seen Lost?
2: No, I have not watched Lost.
1: It is a, um, it's a it's a show that starts off very weird, very odd. Oh, not not, not weird. It's actually normal, and it gets like you know like when a shows jump the shark.
2: Oh yes yeah.
1: yep um it does that like in season like halfway through season two and there's like seven more seasons <laughs> well, <wow>. yeah <laughs> they, they keep poking you on these like weird cliffhangers all the time like, gosh, like yes going, so. yeah but uh what are some of your other hobbies
2: right now i'm cooking has been it's been a hobby. I would say it's turned into more of a job this last year with <laughs> cooking more meals than in a usual year. Yeah. Um, also like making things. I have a, I don't know if you've heard of a Cricut cutting machine. It's like a crafting machine that you can cut over a hundred different materials with it. So lots of DIY. You can do card, like cardstock for greeting cards, or you could do wall hangings, like it's endless. There's, there's thousands of different combinations you can do.
1: So it's like wood cutting or?
2: You can cut, you can cut like balsa wood, or you can cut felt or you can cut cardstock, or you can cut vinyl. And then like, if you've seen the mugs that you put the vinyl on the outside, it cuts, it can cut that. Um, it can cut the vinyl that you put on a t-shirt. So lots of different, my girls are always asking for projects and, and it's just a fun one. Cause it's one machine that you can create a lot of things with.
1: So it's the air dryer of making things. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, like, I don't understand how that can even work. I, I think I have to look that up later, but um, I understand your, your standpoint on cooking. Yes. Um, I, it's, I, 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 sorry. <laughs>
2: no, it's, it's, it's still enjoyable. It just, yeah, I've cooked way more meals at home than I would in a regular year. <laughs>
1: And I'm like, you. well like i live with um four other guys mm-hmm. and we cook um like one of us ha- has a signed dinner date like each week so i can just mass produce food and also like i'm just starting to learn how to cook mm-hmm. decently because mm-hmm. uh, my my case buds are so bland like i eat cheerio i eat dry cheerios no milk saltine crackers i eat I have a for that.
2: <laughs> it has to be a little bit of a challenge to cook without enjoying or without liking flavors
1: <laughs> i mean i was a picky kid back in the day i all would eat i i, I was a texture as a texture person like i i hated slimy food i hate like mashed potatoes like I, I i had to learn like how to like enjoy those foods and be a functional member of society
2: there yeah, there's still plenty of time. You can expand your taste buds.
1: I mean, like I don't care now. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's too late. It's too late. The damage has already been done. <laughs> like the, I don't know. I just I was picking back in the day. But what's some uh, of your favorite meals? Like, like I can make?
2: Oh, I kind of rotate in between. Um lately it has been I don't know, trying some there there's a new, like spice or a company that I found that's called Epicure. They have a sp- spice packet that is for sweet garlic chicken and sweet potatoes. And it's like the best spice mix. You just mix it up, roast it in the oven. That is really good. Um, pretty much anything like roasted vegetables, um, steak is always a hit. Um, I don't know. We're kind of a meat and potatoes vegetable type of household. So I don't know. I kind of go in, go in routines kind of make the same thing for a while and get burnt out and then rotate something new into the mix.
1: Yeah, no, I I understand. Like, you always have, like, that one meal, The old, reliable. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's, like, the same thing with music. You know, like, you listen to the same song over and over again until you get sick of it, and it never, like, feels the same thing. Same thing with cooking as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Same
1: thing as, as well chicken and rice. It's really easy to make, really good to make. Ah, (laughs) Yeah, but um, I guess like what got you into being in the advertising industry to begin with?
2: I I just kind of grew up in it to a degree. Um, growing up, my dad worked at, he was in radio. He worked about every job there was in a radio station. And then when I was five, he started doing consulting. So he did sales and management consulting that he would work with radio stations across the U S and go out and help them sell advertising, help them with marketing plans for businesses. So just kind of grew up in those conversations. I worked for him for a few years, typing up his reports and so kind of like, you know, learning all the lingo and those were the conversations we had. So it was always in the, I don't know, it was just always kind of in the background or in the kind of all around. And then in school, I studied marketing, international business, and I always found that I would kind of start in marketing jobs and then it would a little bit kind of twist and turn into a more advertising angle. So it, I don't know, it's, it's fun. It's fast paced. It's exciting. So I just kind of kept looking for opportunities that were in that space. And it, I like to continue to learn. And it's a space that I feel like I still have to, even though I am on the teaching side, I still have to be a student because I need to know what new platforms are coming out, what new ad types, what What's changing in the space? So that part's fun for me that I can't become complacent. I have to just keep kind of forcing myself to digest what's out there.
1: Yeah. And it just seems like there's this giant digital arms race of of knowledge you have to know. You know, you're constantly, it kind of feels like with advertising, you're constantly behind. Yes. (laughs) up. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yes. You see a brand or you see someone doing something it's like, oh, how would they think of that? That's, they're so far ahead of the game, but it's like, that's, that's just, everyone's moving so fast paced and you still have to have the strategy. You still have to have like the mm-hmm. foundation there, but it's easy to yeah see brands and be like, oh, I'm never going to catch up. But it, it's all cyclical. It, everyone has their strengths. Everyone will find their find their place in it. And I don't know that part is just invigorating to me that you can't just come up with a formula and you do that formula every day for the rest of your life.
1: I think so a lot of people, that's what interests a lot of people in advertising. You know, they you have to keep going. Like you're, you're always spinning wheels and you learn about different stuff too in research, different people, different cultures. Mm-hmm. Like Uh, which is exactly what your um, global multicultural class is. (laughs) But um, yeah, it is you're always learning. You can't be stagnant or else you're gone.
2: (laughs) And that's where like the teaching side is fun for me because I learn as much from all of you as the students because we're in different generations at this point that – we can, you know, I can learn as much from you, like what's in on pop culture and what's, you know, kind of like figure out how can we use that? How can we make that part of our advertising strategy? So that part of teaching is a lot more exciting than I would have thought before I started doing that. Oh,
1: definitely. Like it's just the, the, the whole entire industry. You're just, you're putting something out. It's like, it's a weird form of the combination of Understanding human being and art, Call, like art and culture, pulling together in a weird, perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and although we, we talked about this yesterday, but um, like I don't think advertising is, I, it's a little bit too macro, but.
2: You know. And that's where brand, like people are understanding that, trying to get that more personalized feel, more of that one-to-one feeling it's still it, it's challenging to do at scale but that's where I think like tools technology really help us to to try to narrow audience and try to make our messages on point
1: so would you say that technology like with like advertising tools is it becoming too invasive
2: it depends what side you're on <laughs> yeah (laughs) as the advertiser the information is fantastic because it helps you with targeting your audience as the consumer might feel a little invasive so you know I see both sides of it Uh, we're definitely we're in the middle of data privacy that's changing we're seeing certain things in advertising that are going away that we've had access to such as cookies and kind of more of the the behavior that we have online so I would say that as an industry industry they are recognizing like yeah we're kind of gathering a lot of information when we have data breaches is pretty significant so I feel like there's some some changes that are that will be beneficial to the consumer um, but yeah I mean I, I can see both sides of it because it depends if you're looking from as the advertiser versus consumer
1: Oh, definitely It's like, like a lot of websites are still not following the rules because like i'm still forced to accept cookies in order to browse the website and i'm like there's some emails where i can't opt out of it they don't have mm-hmm. that option and it kind of feels like the FTC, the ftc is kind of like there's just too many things happening and they're not enough to take care of it yes it is a
2: lot to try and monitor and to I mean, you hope everyone has best practices and is following regulations, but yeah, there's definitely cases that the unsubscribe doesn't show up at the bottom of emails or you have no idea how you got on that email list. So hopefully we see some things get cleaned up a little bit there, a little bit more consumer friendly, but we're definitely living in some changes that are happening in that space.
0: Our next episode will be available on April 23rd. This podcast is the property of the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University, which reserves all rights to its use. Music by Cody M. Johnson and Tyler Addison James is licensed through AMP Music.